If you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles or your electronic device, you can get to Matthew chapter 7. We are continuing in our series through the key teachings of Jesus through the book of Matthew. And we've gone through what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and we've gone through chapter 5 and 6. And we're continuing on in this, this, this series called Disciple, which is learning what it means, but from Jesus' own mouth, what it means to follow him, what it means to be a part of his family. And so we've been walking through a number of different things that have been challenging. And of course, this morning, this will be challenging as well. So we come to, to verses 13 and 14 of Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus kind of turns the page a little bit. Up until this point in these chapters that we've been looking at, he's been giving us kind of the core of his teaching about what it looks like in our lives when we follow him. And then when we get to verse 13 and then through the remainder of this chapter, what he does is, today we'll talk about this and then the next two weeks after this, he really poses three challenges to us about choices that all of us have to make in this life. Today we'll talk about choosing the right road and then next week about choosing the right tree. He uses these images and then eventually choosing the right foundation. And those are choices that all of us have to make in our lives. And this morning, as we look at this, he's going to use some imagery of, of a gate and a road or a pathway to illustrate for you and I the importance of understanding that when it comes to Jesus, there is no middle ground. There is either yes or no. There is either this side or this side. There's nothing right down the middle, which is really where we'd like to hang out. And one of the reasons I've mentioned this before, one of the reasons I like to, as a pastor, teach through books or through whole passages is because you end up in scriptures and passages that normally you wouldn't go to on your own. These two verses this morning are verses that I know I wouldn't and we probably wouldn't go to on our own. In fact, I haven't found anyone yet who said these two verses we're going to read this morning are their life verses. I don't see these usually are not put up on somebody's refrigerator or up on your mirror or in your car somewhere because they're extremely challenging. But that's why we have to come face to face with what Jesus says because he's wanting us to be people who ultimately follow him and experience the life that he wants for you and I. So with that in mind this morning... Let me read these two verses, and then we'll talk about, uh, talk about the specifics of what Jesus is highlighting in choosing the right road in life. So Jesus, in his own words, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. So with those couple of verses, obviously you can start to pick up, this is pretty direct. Jesus, Jesus turned the corner, he said, this is what it looks like when you follow me, but in order for you to know me, to follow me, you have to make a choice. And it's a choice that happens initially in our life, and then it's a choice you and I make every single day of our lives, of which way we're going to go. Now, if some people think, you know, that, that Christianity or following Jesus can be confusing and you know there's isn't all roads lead to God eventually and aren't we all just going to be saved in the end and we all kind of want to make it kind of this this kind of mishmash kind of gray area kind of just make it really kind of undefined so we can all kind of define our own path and we're all going to end up at the same destination that's what we would like but but sometimes people say why doesn't Jesus just make it more clear well when you come to these two verses Jesus makes it really clear he spells it out it's either this way or or it's this way, but it's not in the middle. It's not in the middle. And that's where we, you and I like to, to live. That's like to, where we like to hang out. So when it comes to what we're going to talk about today, the, the choice is obvious on, on the path that we should choose. But the decision is extremely difficult. 
because it's something you and I have to do every day. And as we look at these verses together, what I'd like you to do is, this is not an easy message, and I mentioned this first service. I don't try to line up my messages so they line up just right on, like, Mother's Day, so we have a nice, flowery Mother's Day message, and everybody goes home feeling really wonderful and encouraged. And not that I try to do the opposite, hear me, but I really would like to say, okay, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you saying? Let's go through these passages. This is what landed on Mother's Day, so maybe God knows better than us. This is what we need to hear. So before we jump into some of the specifics of the passage, I want you to understand the definitions that Jesus sets up for us to understand what he's saying. Because he uses two really key terms, life and destruction. And you and I have to understand what he's talking about because that's the two roads he talks about and where they lead to. So you and I need to understand the ultimate destination of the two paths that he's laid out for you and I. So what is life and what is destruction? The first thing, life has to do with what the way Jesus defines life is that it's this capacity of life that is full and it's, and it's a capacity to be filled with joy as well as its capacity to be eternal. And let me explain what I mean by that. So when you and I think of life, like when, when Jesus says, you know, the road that leads to life, that means the road that in our definition, it leads to a good life which means if I do the right things and I follow Jesus and I know God, then I live a good life, then I have the good life. And what's the good life for you and I? It's the right job. It's the right economic status. It's the right house. It's the right spouse. It's the right school for my kids. It's, it's everything that I want, and then I live a good life. I'm nice to people. You know, uh, I don't cut people off on the freeway. You know, I wave to my neighbor when I'm driving down the street. You know, those kind of things. I'm a good person. I live a good life. That's not at all what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a life that not only exists in this reality that we live in now physically, but it's a life that goes on forever. And the life that Jesus is describing is the life that that you and I have to go back in time to get a picture of what that looks like. So if you and I go back a few thousand years to Adam and Eve at the beginning of all this, when Adam and Eve were, were created and they were put into the garden, they were experiencing what God purposed life to be. So understand the context they live in is very different than the context that we lived in. So they lived in a context where the God of the universe would come walking in the garden and they had this face-to-face relationship with him. There was no sin or failure or brokenness in the world and therefore there was no barrier between them and God. So they could see God, they could talk to God, they could hang out with God, and which is kind of crazy. They could walk around, and this is kind of strange, they could walk around naked and they weren't ashamed. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing because there was no sin or bar- any barriers, there was no shame. So they had this perfect relationship with God Everything was taken care of for them. They didn't have to work for anything. They had everything that they needed in this perfect relationship with God. Why? Because God had created, as God has created all human beings, to be in relationship with Him. And that's the fullness of life, is when we have this vital connection with God. And for us, it begins here and extends into the next life. So when Jesus is defining life, He's defining it in those terms. He's defining that kind of life. And he says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, it says, then they will go on away to eternal punishment. Again, as the opposite, we'll talk about destruction. But the righteous to eternal life, which is life with him. And then Jesus says in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. What Adam and Eve had in the garden was the fullest capacity of what life could be. And the reason why is not because everything was perfect in terms of the climate, the weather, the food that they had available to them. The perfection in that was that they were in relationship with God. Therefore, within themselves, they had the fullest capacity of life because they were living out why they were created. 
But you and I know the story. What happens is God gives Adam and Eve the ability to make one wrong decision. And that's the one that they make. That's the decision they make, which leads to the second thing. So Jesus on one side says, listen, this is, this is the journey that leads to life. And that's the life he's describing. It's the life that you and I have yet to fully experience. We get a, we get a glimpse of it in this life. But then he says, listen, the other road leads to this thing called destruction. Now, when you and I think about the concept of destruction, we think about destroying and being annihilated, which means there is no more existence. It's just kind of the end of all things. That's not the destruction that Jesus is describing here. Uh, In fact, listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. It says, but uh, do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, which means don't walk the path that I've laid out for them, but to those who have faith and are saved. In other words, there's this ability to pull back from walking this narrow road that we'll talk about that leads to the broad road that is the destructive road that leads to what you and I don't want to experience. Going back to Adam and Eve again, getting the broader context. So they went from experiencing the fullness of life to experiencing what it is to live in destruction. Because after Adam and Eve, we know the story. We know that, you know, we see the pictures. If you went to Sunday school, you know, you know, Eve with the apple and the serpent and everybody's smiling. That's not the way it happened, by the way. Sorry to shatter your world. So she takes the fruit. She gives it to Adam. We know the story. Adam blames her. Adam blames God. Adam blames everybody except himself. And because of that sin, failure, brokenness enters into the world. And then if you know the way the story goes, what happens as a result of that is that where they, beforehand, in the fullness of life, they never had to work for anything. They were in direct relationship with God. Everything worked the way it was supposed to. Now they are removed from the garden. So they're removed from the presence of God. Now Adam has to work for everything. He has to, just to provide food, he has to work. And now Eve gets the joy of struggling, struggling through childbirth. And so everything begins this cycle of falling apart, which is the beginning of destruction. But the ultimate reality of destruction is separation from God. And so what Jesus is describing when he says destruction, it is that you and I have to understand, everybody has life after this life. But the question is, will it be eternal in its capacity, in its fullness with God, or will it be eternal ruin and destruction away from God? That's the two paths. That's the two journeys that every human being who has ever lived and who is living now will take whether they know it or not. Jesus defines that for us. And it's important to understand that because now we were, we're going to talk about these paths to know that's the ultimate destination of all humanity, one or the other. And the question is today, where are you headed? And so as we go through these, maybe this is a good opportunity because each one of us may find ourselves in a different place in our understanding of Jesus. Some of you may know, know walked with the Lord and known Jesus for 50 years. Maybe some of you don't even know who he is yet. But all of us have to take a step back and say, okay, what road am I in? Now, now if we took a poll right now, most would say, hey, I think I'm on the right road. I think I'm on that path that leads to life. But you and I sometimes don't know until we take a step back and look at what those paths and those journeys and those roads actually look like. Then we might go, oh, wow, I thought I was going one direction when I was going the opposite. So this morning, let's talk about, first of all, the road that leads to destruction that Jesus describes that you and I need to be aware of in our life. Because... This is a decision you and I have to make every day of our life. We have to make sure we are on the right path in the journey that God wants us to be on that leads to life. The first thing that Jesus says about the road that leads to destruction is that it's a wide gate. He says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction in verse 13. And so what is Jesus saying? He is saying that there is this wide gate that is broad and open and welcoming and obvious and accessible to everybody. 
It's not a secret. It's not hidden. There's something about it that's really easy. It's, it's open to everybody. In fact, it incur- you can feel people being drawn towards it. That's what he's talking about, this wide gate. It's like you, you ever driven down a, a street that people have, you know, a very wealthy street where everybody has a gate as an entrance to their house. Now, the gate does two things. It keeps people out. It's security. But also is this great presentation of how impressive your house may be. If your gate's big, can you imagine how much bigger the house is going to be? And so it's kind of the same kind of thing. It's this, it's this almost this illusion, <clears throat> excuse me, that's projected for you and I to say, look how beautiful this is. And you and I have a tendency in life to have this perception that even when we refer to the way God works sometimes, that we always use the, we use the word open doors. Well, and we've talked about it. We walk through the open doors that God opens for us. And that's true in some, in some regards, but many times what happens is we'll just walk through any open door. And then we'll say, ah, that was God. When sometimes there's doors that are open that are not God in our life. But we find a way to find just to push on a little bit and say, oh, well, look, it, it just opened to me. So it must be God. It must be the right path because it just opened. If it was the wrong path, God would have locked it and kept it closed. So I wouldn't have gone down that. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you just love if that's the way it was? Every wrong decision you could ever make, God just shut the door on. That would be easy, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have to have this conversation. Jesus wouldn't have said these words. But if it's open, you and I just push on a little, wow, it, it must be a good thing. It's like our dog before we had to, to put her down a few weeks ago. She's never been like the ultra curious dog. She had her moments where she'd kind of run and, and get loose, but she, for the most part, was a pretty good dog. But about three or four months ago, Kim and I, we were out shopping, and, and I got a phone call. And there was, uh, it was a number I didn't know, so I didn't answer it, but I got a voicemail from the, this woman who said, listen, she said, I live on this street, which was our street, and she said, um, I have a dog, and her name is Bella. And she said, your phone number is on her, on her collar, so I assume you're the owner. She's at my house. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So we got in the car, and we, we drove back to our neighborhood. And she said, yeah, she goes, I had to leave, so I'm going to put her in my backyard. And so we drove up to the house, and sure enough, Bella, who is like everyone's friend, she'll like lick you to death, you know. She doesn't have an evil bone in her body. And so we, we get her back to the house and everything. So we're thinking, how did she get out? We have two, two fences or two gates that go to either side of our backyard or either side of the house. And one you can see right from our driveway, and it's, it's, it's a, like a wrought iron fence, and it's closed and locked, and it's like six feet tall, and she can jump, but not that high. And we're like, well, she can get out there. Then we go to the other side, that there's this kind of this gate on the side that you really can't see, and sure enough, that was wide open. So one of us had gone through that gate and not closed it, or not closed it all the way. Now, I can't translate exactly what our dog was thinking, but I can probably come become pretty close and that is she probably walked over there and either it was unlatched or it was open and she just nudged a little bit and it opened. Well, if it's open, it must be a good thing, right? And so off she went. Now you're thinking, are you equating us with a dog? I am, believe it or not. That Jesus calls us something, I think, worse than dog. He calls us sheep that are really stupid, doesn't he? He loves us, but he says sometimes we act like that. And I think sometimes we'll nudge on things and think, well, if it opens, it can be a bad thing, right? It's, it's this beautiful gate that I'm supposed to go in. How many times in our life have we made a decision thinking, oh, this is the right way because the door's open. It's not locked. I should just go down it. And then you and I get a little ways down inside that gate and we realize, wait a second. This is not the way I was supposed to go. What Jesus is saying about this path that leads to destruction ultimately is that it's very easy to access. It's wide open to you. And that's why you and I have a tendency to gravitate towards it. The second thing he says going on in verse 13 is that also the road that leads to destruction is a broad road. 
He says, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Next part of verse 13. Which means it's wide and spacious and accommodating and comfortable. That it's very easy to go down it. Why? Because you're not, you're not having to grasp and, and push and, and you're not having to rub elbows with people. Just nice and wide and, and broad. And it's kind of like, you know, what is our answer in California when traffic becomes more intense and more prominent in our, in our culture? What do we do in Southern California? You just widen the freeway, don't you? Anybody live in Orange County? Yeah, in the streets of gold down in Orange County where you, there's like, it's like, you feel like the freeway is like a mile wide. It's like every time the answer is what? Add a lane. I grew up in San Fernando Valley. I grew up through, I think, two lane widenings of the 101. Why? There's more traffic? Make another lane. Take out more houses. Why? Because we want a wide thoroughfare because we want to be able to get through and we, won't, we don't want to be hassled with traffic and crowds and being congested. We want to be on something wide. And so Jesus describes this road that leads to destruction as kind of like that. It's this wide, broad area. And yeah, and I have to understand that the way that this thing kind of works is that, that ultimately is that, that when you and I focus on what's broad and what's wide and what's easy, what our focus is, is how can we maximize our comfort? And believe it or not, for many of us, and I know this is something I battle all the time, comfort becomes my king. It does. And the decisions I make every day of my life is to maximize my comfort in my life, even sometimes at the expense of other people. Why? Because I don't want to be constricted and restricted and controlled. I want to have freedom because I'm an American and I want to make sure that I I take full advantage of what that means. And so I, I want to make sure that I experience the full comfort of what it means to have everything at my disposal. And in our lives, not only become about comfort, we become about how do I avoid and limit discomfort. I don't want pain. I don't want struggle. I want it easy, and I want it comfortable. That defines our culture. What is most convenient? What is most easy? And that defines the way we live our life, and that's why we have to sometimes take a step back. And one of the, the, the downsides of being an American is that many times we forget that we represent only 5% of the world population. It's really interesting, if you've ever traveled globally, and especially into areas that are dealing with issues of poverty, it is a rude awakening when you and I realize for the first time that most people in the world don't live like we live. They live very different lives than us. And we think everybody lives this way, and not everybody does. And sometimes we get caught up in our own culture in such a way that we don't even really think about anybody outside the borders of our country because we think somehow we're entitled to have what we have. Therefore, at 5% of the world population, the estimates are is that we use between 30 and 40% of the world's resources. And it's even getting higher. Now, China's giving us a run for our money right now. But it's this idea that it's about my comfort. So, I mean, we get, we get uh, angry when the price of gas goes up 50 cents, don't we? Some people don't even worry about the price of gas. You know why? They don't have a car. They don't have the convenience of driving anywhere. They had to walk somewhere or ride a bike. And so we have this mentality that, that focuses is on how can I be comfortable? How can I make sure that I, I'm living the life that I want to that, that makes sure that I don't have to be uncomfortable in any way? That's why we have, what, heating and air conditioning. That's why if it gets too hot in this room, people start waving their bulletins. And if it gets cold, everybody puts their jackets on. Why? Because I'm uncomfortable. Somebody adjusts the temperature. Anybody ever complain about temperature before? Oh, raise your hands. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. So whatever we have to do. You know, there's a story that Jesus tells in Luke 16. I I have read this story so many times, and it's a story that haunts me. Because what Jesus describes 
puts fear in me about eventually what road I may be on in my life. He tells this, this very vivid story about two men. One is a rich man, one is a poor man. The poor man is interesting enough in the way Jesus works. Is obviously, he, valued, he didn't hang out with all the rich and significant people. He hung out with the poor. The poor man gets a name in the story. The poor man's name is Lazarus. The rich man just gets the title rich man. And in the rich man's life, in this world, the rich man and the poor man, they coexisted, not really together, but separate. They were in this world at the same time, and the rich man had everything that he wanted at his disposal. He was comfortable. He had enough money to get what he needed in life, and he was satisfied. He was content because he had wealth. And then there was a poor man who sat just outside his gate. And probably every day, this rich man on his way to work or to do business or whatever he's doing, he would probably step over the poor man and probably look down at him and have pity on him. This poor guy has nothing. Probably thought to himself, he probably made a bad decision in life and now he's paying the price for that. And so they lived that way side by side until both of them died. And then in death, what happens is everything gets reversed. So now... What Jesus describes is the poor man goes to a place called paradise, and then the rich man goes to a place called Hades, is the word Jesus uses. We would equate it to hell or a place of torment. And so somehow in this, this, this life, in the next life, they have the capacity to know where the other one's at. And so the, the, the rich man is in agony, and he sees Lazarus, the poor man, he's, he's enjoying paradise and he's he's wanting to somehow find the end of his torment and and he's asking for help and there's this this interesting kind of uh, tension that's going on in the story but the sum of the story what happens is jesus tells us that in in this life the rich man had everything that he wanted and the poor man had nothing but in the life to come the poor man gets everything and the rich man gets nothing why well when i read the story for myself is because the rich man cared nothing for the poor man, but only for his own comfort and what he could get for himself. I mean, now, wait a second. Salvation is based on Jesus' death on the cross and his forgiveness. Absolutely. But if you and I have truly experienced God's forgiveness and over our own brokenness and our own spiritual poverty, it breaks our heart for other people. It causes us to live our lives. Our lives no, no, no longer are about comfort. They're about what? I don't care about discomfort. I just want to follow Jesus and I want to care for people. It's a shift. And that means you and I have to understand the broad road. Now, so many people say to me, man, you're saying rich people can't, can't get into heaven? No, I'm not saying that. Jesus said it's near impossible except by his grace in their life. And by the way, when I say rich, look around the room. Every single person in this room is rich. You say, well, no, no, you haven't seen my bank account yet, Pastor John. No, <laughs> compared to the rest of the world, you and I are stinking rich. We are. We have so much. So when Jesus talks about the rich man, it's not the guy next to you or the guy who lives on the other side of the, the street. Or It's you. It's me. It's us. That's why we have to be careful that our lives don't become about comfort. If they do, then we're on that broad road where it's nice and easy and accessible and comfortable for us. And then Jesus says a third thing in verse 13. He says the road that leads to destruction is a popular path. Because then he says, and many enter through it. See, the road that, that leads to destruction, it is going to be crowded because it's going to be a party, going, going where you want to go. And we're, we're, we're all going to move. It's like it's going to be this feeling like, well, if, if this many people are doing it, it can't be wrong. Ever thought that before? We all have. Or maybe you pick out a few people that you respect and say, well, if they're doing it, I mean, it, it can't be wrong. It's got to be the right path because it's a popular one. It's the one that the culture 
embraces. It's the, where the majority of people go. And so when you watch the trends in our culture, you see where the majority of cult, the culture goes. And everybody says, well, if everybody's doing this, it just it can't be wrong. It has to be right because that many people couldn't be wrong. But what Jesus is describing here is that many people will go down this path that leads to destruction. See, you and I have a tendency, and we have to be really careful. We ha- have a tendency to jump on the bandwagon. We do it in the church, we do it in our culture, something happens, something significant, and we watch kind of the clamoring, we watch the rise of popularity, and we think to ourselves, am I missing out? Am I missing out? Some, I, I better jump on board. And different people have, have, have talked about where did the whole concept of bandwagoning come from? A lot of people credit to P.T. Barnum when he would, when, you know, the Barman Bailey Ringling Brothers Circus comes into town. The bandwagon was the wagon that the band rode on and played as they came into town to get people's interest in the circus. And so what would happen is they'd come into town and the band's playing and people's interest would peak. They'd start following the bandwagon and before they know it, they're at the circus and the crowds get bigger. So as the people are going down the street, like, well, if that many people are going to the circus, then I'm missing out. I got to go to the circus. He was smart. He knew what people would do. They would just go along with the crowd. And the same thing is true today. You and I have a tendency to jump on the bandwagon. Instead of taking a step back and saying, God, is this the path that you laid out for me? I don't care how popular it is. I don't care how many people are doing it. I need to know, is this the path that you're wanting me to go on? You know what happens? In the, yeah, we, I know I have to be careful of this, but this happens in the church too. We bandwagon in the church. We gravitate, as, as people who are followers of Jesus, we gravitate to different fellowships according to what is the latest and greatest. We do it. If there's a great worship team at one church, it grows. Or a great pastor who we like to hear, everyone flocks to that church, and we say, wow, look, the church is growing. No, it's not. (laughs) The church grows when somebody who doesn't know Jesus comes to know Jesus, not when one person moves their seat from one church to another. That's different, and that's bandwagoning. Now, I'm not saying that, okay, if you go to a church where there's something popular that they're on the road to destruction, I'm not saying that, but you and I need to be careful how we're making our decisions. Are we making decisions based on what we think is popular, what everybody else is doing? Jesus is telling us, ultimately, that path is going to lead to destruction in our lives and in the end. So then, kind of looking at the other side of the coin, Jesus talks about the road that leads to life. So now that we've considered the road that leads to destruction, not wanting to be on that road, and the beautiful thing about God's grace through Jesus' death on the cross is that you and I have an opportunity at every moment to get off of that road and not go down that path through the forgiveness of Jesus' death on the cross that allows us to not be held responsible for our failure and going down that wide road that leads to that wide gate that none of us should end on. Through Jesus' salvation, we can get back on the narrow road that he has for us. So the road that leads to life, Jesus describes in verse 14, and he says the first thing that it is, is it's a small gate. He says, but small is the gate that leads to life. So it's small, it's simple, and the opposite of the wide gate is that it's probably very unassuming. It's not some grandiose thing. And so I think some of us, I think if if we were God, we would probably do things differently. So if we wanted the world to know that God loved them and that Jesus came to die for them and that the only way to the Father, the only way to God, the only way to paradise, the only way to true life is through Jesus, then you got to go big, right? 
You got to get people's attention. You got to wow people. You got to grab them. You got to make them, you got to sell them. You got to convince them that this is what it is. And so you and I would probably do it differently. Like when Jesus came into the world, he wouldn't come in to, you know, marry this teenage mom, you know, in, in a stable with animals. You and I were like the biggest, best hospital, the best doctors, and the biggest, you know, it's kind of like when the royal family has a baby. Everybody hangs outside to see what the baby is. That's how we would do it. Anybody want to agree? Because then you maximize the amount of people knowing, right? They're all going to know that the Son of God is here and he's come to save the world. But why didn't God do it that way? Because he knew, even if he did it that way, we still would choose what? Wait a second. I still want to do it my way. Because in the end, you'd say, well, well, that's all great, but you're asking me to, to give up the, what I, the route I want to take, and you want me to follow your way. It doesn't matter how grandiose it is. When push comes to shove, you and I have to come to grips with, we have to surrender ourselves. We have to give up our lives. See, sometimes we struggle with that. And that there's something true that's interesting about a small gate that's a great image that Jesus uses for you and I. You ever tried to fit through something that you're too wide to get through? I'm not talking about weight. You're thinking, man, he's talking about... No, I'm not talking about weight, okay? Just whatever size body you have, you see something you're trying to get through, and you know that it's going to take a lot to get through there. So what do you do? You suck your belly in, don't you? You Try to get as thin as you can. If you're carrying anything, you put it down because you know you're not getting through there, right? Because it's narrow, it's small. The same thing, the same imagery is true. What Jesus is saying is that, that those who are going to enter through this small gate are only going to be able to get through if they're willing to give up everything. No baggage, no luggage, nothing gets to go with you. You've got to give it up. It's this narrow little passage. It means I have to give up everything in order to access life because the things that I think are giving me life here are the very things that will lead me to destruction. I have to let them go. That's why Jesus says to find life, you have to lose it. You have to be willing to deny yourself. Why? You have to let go of things. You have to simplify yourself and focus on, not on comfort and ease and what all the things that we want, but you have to, in order to fit through. Last October, I went to China, and China was an incredible experience, but China has so many more people, and they all crowd in the train stations. They're all there. Thousands of people. And we were in Shanghai, and I'm telling you, I could not count how many people just see a sea of people that you go just as far as the eye can see. And all these people moving about and, and getting from one train to another. And, and we were catching a train. So, you know, we're, we're the dumb Americans. We don't know how the train station works. But so we're following the rules, and there's like this lineup to get to our train. And so when we're in the train station, you get there. And in China, when you get in line first, that never means that you go first. Because in, seriously, in that culture, there's so much, uh, such a crush of people that immediately people walk up next to you. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. We were there 10 minutes before the gate opened. We were the first ones in line. We were the 20th one through the gate. That's how many people squeezed through in front of us. So we're in the train station. My dad's with me. We've got, I've got my luggage. I've got my backpack on. He's got his bag and his luggage, and we're, we're, we're waiting. And it's, it's funny. It's like everyone's crowding. You can feel the pressure. And then the light turns green, and pff, the gate's open. And it's like this flood of people. But the gates are this wide. They're really small. They're not big. They're not, you know, it's like one at a time, single file. And there's thousands of people trying to crowd through. So the light goes green, and the gate opens, and there's just this push. And so I like him quick, and I hop on it, and I jump through the gate, and I'm going, and I'm like 20 steps in, and I realize my dad's not behind me anymore. So I turn around, and my dad is in pretty good shape, but he's 76, 
And so he's, he's there, and I can see him. He's got his bag in one hand, and another, he's got a CPAP machine over his shoulder. And he's dragging his bag, and there's like 14 uh, Chinese guys like crawling over him. I'm not exaggerating. To get through the gate, and I could just see his face like, I'm going to die in Shanghai. That's what I could see on his face. And I literally had to go back, and we had to extract him out of the gate. And he actually, I had to pull his bags through first to get him through. Why? Because he couldn't fit through with the 14 Chinese guys. They weren't going to make it. There wasn't enough space. And literally, he had to walk through almost with nothing on him, and then we had to drag his bags through. And then, and then of course, the floodgates opened again. I'm convinced the imagery in that is the same what Jesus is describing. You and I want to enter through the small gate with all of our stuff. But all of the stuff will never make it to the small gate because all of our stuff will pull us the other direction to the road that leads to destruction. We can't have all that stuff because the things that you and I think will give us life are really about us. They're not about him. They're not about surrender. They're not about other people. And they just clutter our lives. And if you and I would be willing to allow Jesus to redefine for us what life really is, then the outcome would be better. See, you and I have a definition of what life to the fullest means. And I'm telling you, I've heard people quote John 10.10 so much. Oh, Jesus came life, so I have life to the full, which means, and you and I have the definition, it is the American dream. That's life to the full. That's what we chase after. It's a blessed life. It's a financially free life. It's a problem-free life. It's a stress-free life. That's the good life. That's why Jesus came. That's not why he came. He came because God loves us so much, he wants to be with us, and he wants us to experience true life, which doesn't need any of that stuff to be content. We have to be willing to let it go. Second thing Jesus says about the road that leads to life is that it's also a narrow road. He says that in the next part of verse 14. It's a narrow road that leads to life. I don't like this part because the word narrow has a very narrow meaning. And it means hard, pressed, persecuted, restricted. He's saying the road that leads to life is not an easy road. It's actually a difficult road. It's actually a road that is not filled with all the joys and funs and easy and and comforts and all the things that you and I think it should be. It's actually filled with difficulties and bumps and struggles and persecution. Because you have to remember, if you and I are on this road that leads to life, we are going the opposite direction of traffic. And you and I are going to take hits in this life. And it's going to be bumpy. Remember a number of months ago, we were in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus said this in verses 10 through 12. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Now, how many of us are just like so excited when we're persecuted? We're so happy when people insult us. We are overjoyed with all that. We're not, are we? In fact, many times we think when bad stuff happens, oh, God couldn't be in that because he wants to make it easy on me. But you and I have to understand if we're truly going to follow him, then we know that we're going to encounter difficulties in life. In fact, it's actually a positive thing because what Jesus is saying is happy. Blessed are you. Why? Because you know you're going the right direction that leads to life, and ultimately it will lead to reward. reward. So the bumps of life, the difficulties of life, it's good, and you know that you're on the right path because you're encountering those things. If you're going and it's all smooth sailing and there's never any difficulty, then maybe you need to stop for a moment. And by the way, sidetrack, just a little note. You and I have to understand what Jesus said. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of dumb mistakes in their life. No, it doesn't say that. He says, persecuted because of righteousness. I just want a little aside to clarify. I've had so many people come to me 
and I know I've done this in my life, where honestly we make a dumb decision and bad things happen. We say, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. You're just being stupid, honestly. And I've done it too. But being persecuted for righteousness sake means I'm making a tough call in my life to stay on this narrow road that leads to the small gate and I know it's going to cost me. I know it's going to be difficult, but I know it's the right one. That's what Jesus is talking about. But there's something about, and maybe this is just me, but we could go through lots of scriptures. It's reassuring to know that Jesus tells us up front, by the way, if you go down this road, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be bumpy. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I've shared a little bit about my journey with anxiety. When I was younger, I didn't want to know bad stuff was coming. Now I want to know. I want to be prepared and say, okay, if it's coming, I've got to face it. I've got to go through it. And if I I know it's coming and I know I can get through it because I know there's an end to it, then I'm a little bit more at peace. Anybody relate to that or am I just crazy? Most of you are like, oh, I don't want to know. I kind of want to know. And it's kind of, it's reassuring. So about six years ago, I was down in Palm Springs uh, at a conference and I was headed back up to Portland. So I was uh, getting on the plane. It was right in the middle of like a serious Santa Ana, like we're going to have this next week. The winds had kicked up. And, you know, when you, if you've been in Palm Springs at that time, I mean, sand's blowing everywhere, and the winds are really strong. And so we get on the plane, and we're sitting there, and the wind's so strong on the ground. This is like a 737, pretty good-sized plane. It's moving, and we're not even off the ground yet. So as we're sitting there, the pilot comes over the PA, and I'm, I should have gone and found the pilot and given him a hug, but I never did. So he says, listen, he goes, i got to be honest with you folks. He said, he goes, we're going to take off in a couple minutes here. He said, but this is going to be an extremely bumpy takeoff. He said, the winds are really high. He goes, but I can assure you, we're going to get up. We're going to be okay, but it's going to be bumpy. But once we get to 10,000 feet, the winds will calm down. It'll be really smooth. But I'm just warning you now, it's going to be really bumpy. I've never heard a pilot say that before in my life. So at first you're like, ooh, that's not good. But when he said, hey, we're going to be okay, which means just expect it, it's coming, then I thought, okay. I can do this. And you can ask my wife. I hate bumps in the air. I like smooth. All right? And that's why it's it's just funny. This thing is like when you go on missions trips, you have to actually fly, which means I have to just get over that. And God's given me peace. But it's the craziest thing. So we're taking off. And no kidding, five feet off the deck, the plane's like pitching sideways. And then we're bouncing up and down. And we're all, and it literally sounded like someone was on the outside of the plane just slamming on it. And we're like all over the place. You could hear people going, oh, you lose altitude. Then you bounce back up. And then, you know, and everyone's just kind of hanging on. And it was funny because I knew there was a guy who I talked to a little bit before the plane took off. He's like a global traveler, travels for business all the time. He usually sleeps through takeoffs. He was reading a magazine. (laughs) He dropped the magazine and he grabbed the, 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 the handles. He's like, I'm like, oh, this is bad. If this guy who's Mr. Cool is grabbing it. So we're all, and finally we get to 10,000 feet, and sure enough, just like the pilot said, it smoothed out. Now, the strangest thing, I was okay through all of that. And the reason why is he told me it was coming, and I'm going to expect it. And therefore, if he told me it's coming, he said we're going to be okay, and you're going to get through it, then somehow in my mind, I thought, okay, we'll make it. That's kind of the warnings that Jesus gives us. Listen, you know you're going to go the right direction if you're going to hit those things, but you're going to make it if you, if you persevere, and you're going to get through it. And what is at the end? A reward. It's the road that leads to life. And then the third thing Jesus says about this road that leads to life is that sometimes it's a lonely journey. His last phrase, he says, and only a few find it. So Jesus is comparing the two journeys, the wide and the narrow, and the wide gate or the broad road and the wide gate, and, and then this, this narrow, small kind of path that we head down. So this is what Jesus sets up for you and I in understanding this. He says, few which means there will be more people on the road that lead to destruction than there will be on the road that leads to life. That's tragic. 
It doesn't have to be that way, but Jesus knows humanity will choose the broad road that leads to destruction. So in understanding that, you and I have to understand the difference between the two, because what's the difference between the many on the road to destruction and the few on the road to life? There's really, if you, if you narrow it down, there's this one thing that seems to be indicated from Scripture, the difference between the two. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, which we will get to and we'll talk about, Jesus talks about that at the end, that a group of people will actually come to him and they will say, and it says, many will say to me on that day. That's verse 22 of, of Matthew 7. And he goes on to explain what they say to Jesus as a way to justify their entrance into eternity with him. And what they are presenting to Jesus is, here are our terms. These are the terms we lived our life by. This is the way that we believed we would be qualified to enter into life. So here they are. And if you read through that, and there's other passages like this, where someone presents, the, hey, this is what we did, this is what we did, and, and then Jesus says, no. That's not my terms, that's your terms. But the few are the ones that were willing to surrender their agenda and their terms of what it meant to enter into life and simply chose to follow the narrow road that led to the small gate that was defined by Jesus. That's the difference. That's the, what this, the scriptures seem to indicate, the difference between the two. Am I a part of the many that I do it on my terms, or am I a part of the few that I do it on his terms? And for some of us, that's the bottom line. When you and I look at our life, have we lived our life according to our terms? And that's one of the reasons for me personally and as a pastor, I constantly go to the scriptures and I say, okay, God, I want to know what you're saying. I don't want to make it say what I want it to say. And that's why we go through this. And that's why I go through and I grapple with this personally because it's like, oh, man, this is not easy. I don't just preach this so I can give it to somebody else. I think about this and this is a tension inside is am i doing it if i do i say yeah i'm really living by god's terms but deep down inside i know no actually i've defined christianity on my own terms i've defined jesus on the way i want him to be i've put him in the box and made him tame and made him easy and made him acceptable to me or am i letting him out and i'm letting him define himself and i'm looking at the scriptures and taking the the difficult things like this that he says and then taking him in the heart and saying okay god i want to be on the narrow path I don't want to define it on my terms. The greatest tragedy for any human being is to assume that you and I have followed Jesus our entire life and then someday stand before him and be found in the many and not the few. Because we never stopped in our life and said, Jesus, I surrender my terms. I don't define life. I don't define how to get there. I let you define it for me. And then we choose to say yes and to follow him. And then the final, the final thing before we conclude is Jesus also says the road that leads to life is a hidden path. Because Jesus says only a few find it. He uses a very specific term when he says find. Find means find, but it means find, especially after searching. So it's important to understand that Jesus doesn't play games with us. And sometimes you're like, well, it's kind of a cat and mouse, kind of a hide and seek, kind of a, if I find it, like I have to be a good treasure hunter and then eventually I get it. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. But there's something in us, a passion, a hunger, a desire to truly discover who God is in our life. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about in Matthew 7 as well. Jesus said, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will be opened to you. He was talking about what? Seeking his presence through his Holy Spirit in our lives. 
that God pursues us because of his love for us, but once he gets us, guess what our responsibility is to do? Is to pursue him and follow him with our life. And so what Jesus is saying is that, that only few find it because there's only a few that are really searching, that really are following after me, that really have a deep passion in their life to really surrender and give everything to me because the majority want to hang on and want to do it their own way. And this is what's difficult. So this hidden path is really only found by people who are seeking after it. It doesn't just, see the wide gate, the, the, the broad road, it's easy to find. You don't even have to look for it. It's right there. But this, this path that Jesus has for you and I is something you and I have to desire and to seek after in our lives. We have to have a hunger and a passion to search. And let me close with a couple stories that Jesus told that really point to this kind of imagery. So Jesus used parables all the time because he, he painted beautiful pictures for people to grasp deep concepts. In Luke 15, he tells three amazing stories about God's value for those who are lost. In one of those stories, he talks about a woman who loses a very valuable coin. And it says that literally she, she swept the floor. She turned her house upside down to find it. Now you're thinking, how valuable can a coin be? Because you and I think a coin, let's see, maybe a silver dollar, you know, maybe a quarter. That's what we think of coins. I mean, we don't even think of like barely dimes and nickels and pennies anymore. Those are worthless. But this, this was probably most likely understood. It was, it was part of a collection. It was very valuable to her. And so when she lost it, she would do anything to get it back, literally turn her house upside down to find it. And then when she found it, the crazy thing is that she's so excited, she starts telling all her friends. When was the last time you found a quarter and you told all your friends about it? We, did, we don't do that. That's how valuable it was to her. And Jesus used that, that imagery to explain the value that God places on you and I and the search that Jesus puts out after us to come into the world, to die for our sin, to rise from the dead so that you and I could be found by God and be back in relationship, back into life with him. But then Jesus also tells another story about a man who discovers a treasure in a field. And he sees this treasure and he looks at it and he thinks, this is the most valuable thing I've ever seen in my life. So he buries it back up and puts it in this field and and keeps it there. And then he goes and he sells everything that he has to buy that field. Everything he has. He gives, gets all his possessions on sale, gives them away, gets the money and buys the field. Why? Because to him, there's nothing more valuable than the treasure that's buried in that field. He's given everything. And Jesus tells that story to describe the other side of the coin, which is his value in pursuit of us should translate to you and I looking at a life with him, following him, giving ourselves to him, is the most valuable thing in the world. That there is no cost too great. There is no price that we wouldn't pay to follow him, to give our lives for him. Why? Because there's nothing as valuable as life with Jesus. Life to the full, life eternal. There's nothing greater. Therefore, God on your terms, not on my terms. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pray and we'll conclude, but I I want you to understand, I know that some of you are saying, then what what in the world are you talking about? Because who in the world can be saved? Are you kidding? There's no way. Here's the beauty, is that God's desire is so great for you and I to be with him. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why all of human history has unfolded, is that God's continued pursuit of mankind. And then once he catches us, we pursue him all the way into eternity as we share the reality of his love in other people's lives so that they could as well get on the narrow path that leads to the small gate. But you and I have to understand God's grace is amazing. That you may be here today, and if you're honest with yourself, you've been on the road that leads to destruction. The good news is you don't have to stay on the road. 
You do not have to go to the end of that and find destruction and then have no chance of going and turning back. You have the opportunity to step off that road and to find that narrow path that leads to the small gate because by God's grace, he can lead you there through his forgiveness and his covering in your life. But you have to make a choice today. The road that leads to destruction or the road that leads to life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. I thank you that even though it's hard and difficult, I thank you for your honesty. I thank you for your clarity. That in your words, we can understand there is no middle ground. It's one way or the other. And ultimately, Lord, it really is one way. It's the road that you want us to take that's going to lead to life, life with you. So, Lord, I, I ask that right now and this morning, that you would, or this afternoon, you would help us to embrace the life that, that you want us to have that's going to lead us down that path. And, and I pray, Lord, right now for those that, Lord, if we found ourselves even today in some way, kind of leaning or going down that road that leads to destruction, we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us. Forgive us for what we've done in living our own way and being value, valuing our own commitment over other people and hanging on to stuff that we think will give us life that only leads to destruction. Lord, we want to surrender all that. We want to send or surrender our failure, our achievements, everything. We want to lay them down like that man in the story. We want to, Lord, get rid of everything to hang on to the one thing that is you that's most valuable. And if I'm right now with your, your eyes uh, closed, if I'm describing your desire and you have never made that definitive decision in your life, that commitment that says, I am no longer going down that road, my own road, the road that's broad that everybody else is going down, but I want to choose the road that is the road that Jesus walks with me, the road that leads to life. If you've never made that decision to step onto that road, to choose to surrender your life to Jesus, you can do that right now. And way, the way you do that is you right now just begin to pray, which is you begin to talk to him and tell him, I no longer want to be on the road that leads to destruction. Forgive me for the choices that got me there. And then allow him to place your feet back on the path that leads to life, the life that he wants you to have, the life that lasts forever with him. So just begin to say that. I want to make that decision. I want to make a commitment to surrender everything. I want to, and in a sense... I want to let go of everything to hang on to the one thing. And that one thing is you, Jesus. So, Lord, we ask that every day you would help us to make that right choice. So that, Lord, ultimately, when we stand before you someday and there is an accountability for our life, we know, Lord, that, Lord, our entrance into heaven is by your grace because you've covered our sin. But we also know, Lord, that that means because of that, we have found ourselves on that narrow road that leads to that small gate that enters into the fullest capacity of life. That we would be among the few and not among the many. In Jesus' name, amen.